I'm Billy Groom, your host of All About Animals Radio, and today I have with me Donnie Moss, who is just just an incredible guy doing all sorts of things, and we're so excited to have you here, Donnie. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So you have an organization uh, called Their Turn, correct? Correct. And is this... Uh, is this a nonprofit org? Let's just start with that. Is this a nonprofit org? You know, years ago, I think it was about 2014, um, I, I was doing grassroots organizing myself and I wanted to have a place and I was making videos and I wanted to have a place where I could post all of this information uh, in addition to social media. So I created a website called theirturn.net and it was sort of like an animal rights news magazine. And that I've used that as a platform to sort of organize and report on my grassroots animal rights campaigns in New York City. So I'm not a 501c3. I don't collect any donations. It's all self-funded. And I run grassroots campaigns and I make videos and do sort of print reporting on, you know, on the website, on uh, on the campaigns. So I love um, this. I am a big grassroots person. So I that's what I that's what I love about it. When I read the newsletter, everybody should go read it. We'll have the link in the show notes. Um, lots of really great info in there about what is going on in animal advocacy and what Donnie is doing with campaigns. And that's what we're going to talk about. So let's start with, with this is a Monday, everybody, by the way, we are recording this on a Monday. So we're in Monday mode. But uh, Donnie, tell us what you did this weekend. Yeah, so it was an eventful weekend uh, in the animal rights community in New York City because on Saturday we had the worldwide rally against trophy hunting. And this is a rally that takes place in cities around the world to coincide with the Safari Club International, this big trophy hunting uh, organization that has a convention every year. And so in conjunction with this convention, there are protests that take place around the country. In New York City, we staged our rally at Trump Tower in the lobby because, and I can't even believe we got in, but because the uh, Trump boys, Eric and Donald Trump Jr. are big trophy hunters and there are many pictures posted of them online, you know, smiling, holding, you know, a, a, a elephant tail and uh, maybe a cheetah. I'm mean, really egregious um, acts of violence and, and slaughter against these animals while they're relishing in it. And so it's really a natural spot for us to protest. So I would say about 30, 35 activists uh, quickly entered Trump Tower and occupied the lobby and disrupted. And oddly, um, we left voluntarily after about 20 minutes. We The police were there. There were police cars in front and they didn't eject us. And so we were able to really cause a stir and um, disrupt and educate people who were in the building, you know, Trump supporters who were there to shop for Trump merchandise or just to be in the building and share a point of view. and. You know, and hopefully bring this to the attention of the Trump boys. Good for you. Yeah, that is, and it's interesting that you say that that you disrupted and you also educated. It's so important to do a combination, and that's what I love about your protests. Uh, and as well, I uh, Wrath, which um, is a, an acronym for exactly what you just said, is Wrath. Um, they are with. Compassion, Compassion Works International. Works. Yes, yeah. Compassion Works International, which, and again, I'm going to put that link on this as well, if that's okay, because they have a lot of 
posters and information and stickers and flyers and just ways of spreading awareness, t-shirts, you know, all sorts of things that allow people to really become involved. And like you said, that's that's so incredible that, you know, 20 minutes made such an impact and you didn't have to get kicked out. It, and, and I'm sure a lot of your protests go not not that that well. At, you know, Trump Tower is in sort of a wealthy part of Manhattan where you have like these luxury boutiques that sell fur. And so we did two fur protests right after one at Louis Vuitton and one at Christian Dior and attempted to get into those buildings or those stores. But, you know, the security was like blocking the doors. There was no getting in. Um, and Crazy. so so Crazy. it is interesting that we were able to um, to disrupt inside the lobby of Trump Tower. Something that I really want to talk about, and I know you do as well, the campaign and what you're doing to protest against the unethical, illegal, for a lot of parts, uh, killing of the kangaroos for the soccer shoes for Nike. And what I understand, too, is that Gucci, Prada, and Versace, I don't even know if, I have, if I'm pronouncing those right, I'm pretty sure you I are. am. I'm not a real fashion <laughs> guru, but um, they've stopped. So is, we still, so is Nordstrom, which is, so you know, in the U.S. Oh, is an well. import, important department store. Yeah. Yeah. And then still we have Nike just continuing. And so digging in its kangaroo, digging in its kangaroo skin heels and not um, not moving away toward a cruelty free alternative. It's so weird because, you know, Nike, this multinational corporation that has all of these, you know, committees in place for, you know, and all of these um, policies in place for the environment and for the humane treatment of animals. But this is so egregious environmentally and from a humane perspective. It's like, it's hard to believe anything they say when they engage in such a horrific act um, while having these policies. I mean, for people who don't know, the kangaroos, approximately 2 million kangaroos are hunted down in the dark of night each year, about 70% of these kangaroos are used to make kangaroo skin shoes. But the hunt itself is just so egregious. I mean, these terrified kangaroos, you know, are, are you know, are running away from the light of the of the of the uh vehicles that are chasing them. And uh obviously they're terrified. And then the hunters shoot them in the head and you know, 40% of those who are shot in the head or shot don't die instantly. And so the hunters will follow up by bludgeoning them to death or they'll escape and sort of die slowly of their wounds. I mean, imagine the agony of each individual animal. And then some and of these. Sorry, I just want to, I do want to get onto the, the part about the joeys as well, because yeah. I think that's important. But that type of killing of these animals is that illegal in Australia? Do they have some kind of laws on when, how, how many, this type of thing with when it comes to hunting kangaroos? They do. do and they, they they do have uh, certain laws in place. Um, and there will be, and just as an aside, there is a there is a law in the US that's been proposed called the Kangaroo Protection Act, which would ban the sale of all of these kangaroo products in, in the U.S. But the, you know, in in Australia, 
something that's so egregious here is that their their company their country mascot what they're using in their tourism campaign is like is a a cartoon kangaroo and here they are making money off of kangaroos trying to get people to come see you know their sort of this keystone species you know who people around the world really we're excited about kangaroos here um you know, how exciting what is it to see, you know, a kangaroo in the wild and there they're hunting them down. Um, I don't think that the laws that are on the books are enforced. Um, and mm. uh, I don't think there's really a way to enforce it. These hunts take place in the dark of night. Uh, they appear to be completely indiscriminate. Um, and, you know, as you were starting to mention, mothers with joeys in their pouches are are shot. Those joeys, if they don't die instantly, are bashed in the head uh, or decapitated, or they escape and die of predation or exposure or starvation. It's it's like surreal that this goes on. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so we in the U.S. aren't as familiar with all the intricacies around the laws in Australia around kangaroo hunting. What we know is that an American company, Nike, is selling kangaroo skin, that each of the kangaroos is a victim of terror, and that they need to trans, um, they need to make this transition to cruelty-free alternatives. And they have they have them already. One yes, of them is called Kang Kanga. Uh, they, they have alternatives. And so as a U.S. activist... Um, I don't need to get into the weeds of all of the Australian law. I just know that there's an American company that's doing something terrible, and I'm going to use my power, my voice as an activist to try and put a stop to it. I think it's a really good point that you said it's enforcing these laws are challenging, and they're purposely working their way around that by doing it in the middle of the night for multiple reasons, and none of them ethical. I mean, just the fact that they do that. You know, it's well, look at Nike engages in greenwashing and humane washing. I'm just going to read some of their ter the terms that they use Please in do. reference to the in reference to the kangaroo hunt. Uh, they talk about a transparent supply chain. There's no, there's nothing transparent about hiring hunters to shoot kangaroos in the dark of night. I mean, that's like the opposite of transparent. Uh, it's not. They describe it as sustainable. They describe their consumption of kangaroos. As, you know, they're they're managing it's managed populations. But we know that there are some localized extinctions taking place in um, in Australia. They describe the hunt as humane. These are Nike's words. Kangaroos, if wild caught, must be sourced from actively managed population with government agency oversight. There are no government officials or regulators following hunters in the dark of night all over the country. It's just it's a complete lie. They're not getting permits to do this. They're not asking to do this. They're not getting permits to do this. Right. You know what? Even if this was all done by the book and even if there was an overpopulation of kangaroos, which even there's on Australia, not right. Even if that was true, we would still call on Nike to stop hiring hunters yes. to chase down innocent animals in the dark of night and shooting them in the face and blowing their heads off and killing yes. their babies. There's and no that excuse needs for to, it. And, and Australia needs to step up and do something about that as well. If, if they are not, um, uh, we were, we do need to talk to, I, you know, it's a totally different show and I'm, I, I'm interested in doing it actually and seeing what is, 
going on over in Australia and what the viewpoint is and and how people feel about it. Um, obviously, there's people making money there, and that's always an issue and a problem. Um, but the number of kangaroos there has declined dramatically in the last even two years. And that that shows you right there that that is a lot to do with Nike because that's about the right timing, right? Well, um, first of all, I'll say according to the Australia's Department of the Environment, the number of kangaroos in Australia has declined by 40% there you go. over the past that's, two years. Yeah. So there is a decline yeah. um, and there are localized uh, extinctions taking place. Uh, but again, even if neither of those was the case, as animal it's rights the way they're doing it, as animal, yeah, we don't, we don't, yeah. we don't want uh, this American company shooting Australian animals or any animals, and yeah. and uh, subjecting them to so much pain and suffering and terror, and leaving their babies to die, and le- or killing them, killing them or leaving them to die. I mean, yeah. you know, it's just wrong. What, yeah, I mean, then people, the executives at Nike who make millions of dollars a year, presumably they have families and children and they wouldn't want this to happen to their family. So what makes them think it's okay to do it to others? I mean, yeah, well, I, I'm Canadian. So what's going through my mind is our seal hunt, which is hmm. disgusting. And, and it's so similar to what, what you're talking about. It's yes. They can say it's legal and there's seal hunting season and everything else, but it's wrong. It's horrible. They're bashing these animals. They're just babies clubbing right? them to death, clubbing, clubbing them right in front of their family and their moms and just clubbing them to death. And then they Who go home we? and have dinner with their family, like as if their job is just normal. Yeah, it's, it's disgusting. It's so uh, that for some, that's where I'm. You know, obviously we have Nike here and this is an issue and and I dislike Nike for a number of reasons, Um, many reasons. This one's high on the list as well, Um, but they're not compassionate company. They're not animal caring. They're not compassionate on on any sense. Um, And I do, (laughs) I'm going to show another one of your videos, but I do want to get into how you are engaging in um, a p- more pressure campaigns directed or targeted at individuals, and in uh, particular with uh, Michelle Peluso, who is with Nike. Um, so education is so powerful and so important. Yeah, I mean, there's no appetite in the U.S. for shoes made out of kangaroos. I mean, the average Nike customer, if you were to approach them and ask them, you know, would you rather wear shoes made out of kangaroos or something cruelty-free? I'm sure they would, pretty much everybody would say cruelty-free. They don't, you know, they don't need to make, they can make these soccer shoes out of something else. I don't know if it's the same in Australia, you know, where, where people like to convince themselves that these kangaroos are pests, even though, you know, perhaps we're the ones who are pests. Um, Mm. You know, paving over their homes and grazing cattle where they live, but um, yeah, people in people in the Nike store were you know nobody likes to be disrupted, but they were sympathetic with our with hmm. to our message, and uh, yeah, like I don't I don't like that at all. Kangaroo skin, yikes! 
you know, of course, I wish people felt that way about all skin. You know, I don't, you know, we shouldn't be making shoes and car seats out of cow skin or anybody's skin. Uh, but, you know, if it, for most yeah. people, if there's a species that somehow seems special or more worthy, then it's a turnoff. Yeah, we don't need that. Yeah. And that's, yeah, the only animal that needs its skin is the animal. <laughs> right. There's no other way to, to look at that. But let's, let's um, switch over to Michelle Peluso here. Can you tell us who she is and where your campaign is going on that direction? Yeah, yeah, sure. So first I'll take a step back and say we did stage several disruptions inside of uh, Nike and had a couple of protests outside another Nike store as well. And um, it's, you know, you start polite, you start in any campaign. And this campaign is being run by the Center for Humane Economy. And there they have grassroots activists like me in cities who are willing to confront Nike, you know, where Nike is. And so I I organized these protests in conjunction with the Center for Humane Economy. And um, and uh, and so they were impactful, but. Nike still selling kangaroo skin. And so the next step is to go to individuals who have decision-making power. In New York City, one of Nike's board members who happens to be the chair of their corporate responsibility and sustainability committee lives in Manhattan. Uh, her name is Michelle Peluso. I've sent her, I've hand delivered a letter to her apartment. I sent her a letter by mail. I sent her an email and she hasn't even all polite, but hasn't even, I said, looks, we'd just like to have a discussion. We'd like to put, put you in contact with experts on the issue with uh, members of parliament in Australia who can shed light on why this is inhumane and why the information that share, Nike is sharing about sustainability and managed populations and humane, why it's wrong. But she didn't have the courtesy to respond. And so the next step is to escalate with protests in front of her home. And so that's what we're going to do next. Good. And, you know, sometimes people, you know, when you protest a company, the companies will often ignore you. Yeah, they might have meetings to discuss security procedures in the stores or how to handle protesters. But when, but that's where it might stop. But when you start, when you start to go inside stores or when you start to show up at the homes of executives, then they start to care more uh, because it becomes personal and no one wants protesters in front of their homes. And so that's when they might start paying attention. And in my experience, as somebody who has run pressure campaigns over the years, I can tell you that, you know, the, that they don't care about the issue and they won't do the right thing because it's the right thing they'll do the right thing which in this case would be to stop using kangaroo skin because they're personally impacted by the protests and so they might ultimately issue a statement saying we've moved you know there's consumers are moving in another direction and our technology is advancing and we're pleased to announce that we've made that they made that you know we're phasing out kangaroo skin i mean I don't know that Nike's going to do that, but we've seen that so many times with fur, for instance, yes. where these companies who have been targeted by protesters relentlessly decide we don't want to do we don't want to be subjected to these protests anymore. So we're going to stop using fur. And then they make a statement to pat themselves on the back for how their progressive values. And rightly so. That's probably a lot to do with why Gucci, Prada and Versace did. I mean, I don't know. But there's a good chance. The the other that happens there is 
uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but very influential are celebrities. So when celebrities, for instance, stop wearing fur or say, you know, speak their mind about um, uh, using kangaroo skin for shoes, for example, I mean, there's lots that celebrities have become involved in. It becomes very influential. Is there, is there any, um, are any of the celebrities or in particular sports celebrities? That would be a, an interesting yeah. because, you know, they all seem to really like Nike or they're supported by Nike. It would be interesting to see which uh, sports celebrity steps up to the plate here. If any have, do you know? Yeah, I do know that a couple of soccer players have publicly stated that they're they don't wear kangaroo skin sneakers. And these are very successful athletes. And so we know it can be done. We know That's that right. you can play soccer successfully without <laughs> hunting down a kangaroo at night and peeling the skin Shooting off their bodies. Yeah. We know that this can be done. Um, and, uh, not that there's ever an excuse for this behavior. Yeah, I was going to say, and if, if we can't play soccer as effectively, then we keep apples to apples and nobody gets to wear the shoes and then it's all equal. And oh, well, if we can't play soccer as perfectly as we could right. with, we just don't have that right, right. anyway. It doesn't matter. Right. The fact that it might be perceived as a better material for some people doesn't give anybody the right no. to Not kill someone for no. their skin. No, no, but it's, it's a message that we have, uh, we have to impart on the public as advocates and and because Nike makes so much money off of stealing the skin of these kangaroos, we're going to have to, you know, exert a lot of pressure because at the end of the day, that's all they care about. It's a it's a it's a yes. publicly traded company. They just yes. care about their stock price yeah. and their salaries. And so yes. that's it's a it's difficult to compete with money. But that's why showing up with at somebody's doorstep can be impactful. Because they don't want us there. Yes. And the, the other that we fight against a lot is just people's natural inherent, inherently they don't like to go against their colleagues and their co-workers and they feel like they just can't do that and they can't step up and, and say anything or or step up to the plate at all, which is I think the complete opposite of people like you and I. <laughs> well, also in this case, in this case, though, if you think about it, we're we're targeting, you know, the most senior executives, the people who really do have the power to make decisions. We're not we're not protesting at the home of a salesperson at the Nike store in Midtown. Yes. We're going after the decision yeah, makers. Absolutely. Um, these are people who make hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars a year. They sit on the board, they sit in the boardroom, and they have the power to do the right thing here. Uh, yeah, let's let's see if this particular board member goes back to her committee or back to the whole board and says, I think it's time to uh, make the switch to a cruelty-free alternative. If for no other reason, then I have a family. I live in New York City. I can't have people protesting and making noise and picketing in front of my apartment. I can't have that. And so often what you'll have, what I've seen over the years is that people resign as a way to extricate themselves. For, so in this case, you know, this particular board member is not employed by Nike. She's a board member and she makes, she does get stock options and 
has made a lot of money, but she's not an employee. She might decide, I'd rather just resign from the board um, as a way to get rid of the activists, because if I'm no longer part of Nike, then maybe they can't protest against me anymore. And I, I just saw that with another campaign I'm working on, where two people resigned from the board as a strategy to get rid of us. But in, in my opinion, as a grassroots organizer, their decision to resign did nothing to help the animals who were abused on their watch. Walking away from the problem doesn't vindicate them or, you know. Absolutely. At, and and I should way. clarify when I was saying those people, I wasn't talking about your everyday employee because right. I totally agree with, with your point there. It is about, and I think if I may, you are referring to there in respect to board members with the um, New York uh, Animal Shelter. Is that correct? Well, yeah. So I'm working on another yes. campaign now, but I've been doing pressure campaigns for many years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm working on a campaign now uh, calling on a local animal shelter. It's a private shelter, not a municipal shelter, but this private shelter that takes in millions of dollars in donations a year has been warehousing animals for the past three years. The building's been closed to the public. Adoptions have come to a virtual standstill. Whistleblowers have pled with us to get involved and help the animals. And so we're calling on the shelter to send the animals to shelters that are open or to foster homes where they won't have to live in a cage and where they can be seen by adopters. And so, you know, it's a whole campaign, but one of the first people we targeted after, you know, going through the polite steps that often get ignored is a board member who lives uh, in a very swanky uh, neighborhood on 57th street in New York city. And it was only two or three protests before she resigned from the board of this organization that she served on for many, many years. I think a lot of people on many boards just like are, are more interested in the prestige of having their name yeah. as a board member than they are and the issue themselves. I don't think that or this, the animals. Yeah, right. I don't they, think this individual cared. No. I don't think she cared that the animals were being warehoused. She just didn't want us in front of her house. And so yeah. she resigned, but we made the decision to continue protesting there for weeks, if not months, oh. after she resigned to send a message that your decision to resign did nothing to help the victims who were warehoused on your watch. Um, and so we ultimately switched gears and are now protesting at the Humane Society itself, where we were resistant because of noise and animals, but it, we found a way to do it in a way that we think is really impactful without being disruptive to the animals. And so now we've been there for months and months and months. But but you could see, I mean, whenever we whenever we're protesting board members of any organization that's abusing animals or neglecting animals, um, you know, our our objective isn't get the board members to resign. It's to get them to do the right thing. But often the path of least resistance for them is to resign. And I want to send them Absolutely. a message that resigning doesn't get you off the hook. Yeah, absolutely. And that's so important. And I think a lot of people, exactly what you just said, they want to be on every single board and they they do it for not the reasons that people think and not a lot gets done. And contacting these boards and asking them to make change and asking them to uh, be open to solutions or new ways of doing things, they're just it's they're closed door and closed mind and they don't want the added work. They don't want the added pressure. And I think a lot of it is, is they just don't want to be perceived as rocking the boat. Um, and to, and they just want to go along with what everybody's doing and not rock the boat. And that is really not what I think 
uh, boards are for, really. And yeah, and, it, should and, be. and this particular case, you know, you have a, a board of directors that consists of many elderly people who are not involved and probably not online. Um, and the younger people, several of the younger people have resigned from the board amid this scandal. Um, and they're not doing their job as a board. And and it's especially egregious because they know that the exec or that the executive director believes that animals that the cages are like apartments. That's literally how she describes them, and that the yeah. shelter is a foster home. And of course, even non-animal rights people know that a cage is not a, an apartment and a shelter <laughs> is not a home. But for years, she held this point of view, but there were guardrails in place. There wasn't a board that was more involved and present. There was an adoption director at this shelter who was placing animals with loving families. And the building was open to the public. So adopters could come in off the street, fill out an application and go upstairs and meet the animals. All of those guardrails have come off. The place is a fortress. There's no supervision. There's no adoption director and animals are languishing in apartments. And so it's our job yeah, as grassroots activists. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's a form of hoarding for sure. So you're doing a lot of these campaigns. We love you for that. Um, can Thank people, <laughs> I, I guess for people to get involved in working with your organization or with, organ you know, like you're clearly affiliated, which I love with other organizations as well, or I, I don't know if affiliated is the right word, but you collaborate. I, I am helpful, timing. you know. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll give you an example, you know, so I'm a grassroots organizer in New York City. You know, I also make videos and do other things, animal rights, all animal rights related. But, you know, if, if there's something that I can do on the ground as a grassroots organizer to help an organization, for instance, Compassion Works International had the worldwide rally on trophy hunting this past weekend. Well, something that I know I could do on the ground, even if I can't be an organizer in the global campaign, is to participate, to shoot video, to edit video, to get that up on my social media platforms, which have a lot of followers, and to spread the word about their work. And so, and the same is true with the Center for Humane Economy, which is running this global campaign to compel Nike to stop using kangaroo skin. You know, something I can do right here on the ground in New York City, where we have many large Nike stores and a Nike board member. You know, I, I can roll up my sleeves and help out locally. And then I have my own campaigns, which are, you know, separate yeah. from those. So whatever, whatever and New York do to driven. help. Yeah, absolutely. And they do affect uh, other people is and other organizations nationally and internationally what you're doing as well, because people see what you're doing, even if you're doing it specifically uh, in relation to your local issues that you're having, other people see the effect and see what you're doing and follow suit. And it's so impactful. We really, really do appreciate all that you do. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with share with us before we? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess I would say that, you know, as an activist, one of the lessons that I've learned over the years uh, to make myself a better activist is to step out of my comfort zone. I really mm. try to force myself to step out of my comfort zone because I've learned, especially from organizations like Direct Action Everywhere, uh, that change happens in the discomfort zone. Change happens for ourselves and for the animals when we push further than we want to. 
And so I would encourage everyone to show up, to be a body. I'm often just a body at these protests because every body counts. There's power in numbers. And then to do whatever we can on social media, to be those keyboard warriors where we share. And, you know, I have uh, my hashtag is at their turn, as in it's the animal's turn. And I'll just we'll take one step back and say, you know, you asked me about that at the beginning. You know, as an animal rights activist who is in the streets, I, I can't tell you how many times people have come up to us and said, well, what about the children? And what about yes, what about yeah, ISIS? And too. what about, yeah. you know, there's, there's so much what about ism. And I'm like, well, when is, you know, when is it going to be the animal's turn? You know, billions upon billions of animals are are terrorized in factory farms and fishing nets and slaughterhouses every year. They deserve a voice, too. And compassion isn't finite. And we can right now, we can advocate for humans and non-humans who need our voice. And so that is such an important because when you animal activists will say that it, it we're going to get you can even see in the videos going to get harassed, going to be told. But it's so interesting when people that have their own passion and their own mission start to battle it out between themselves. It's like, this isn't a competition. If you have something that's important to you, if you have an expertise or just a a, a passion on something for some reason, maybe it was a personal experience or something that just hit you hard for some reason, do that. Absolutely do that. It doesn't mean that other people aren't doing something else. If everybody moves forward and steps outside their comfort zone and makes a change in what's important to them. That is how change happens. So just because maybe a post or a campaign is specific to one issue doesn't mean that the others are less important or that people can't be helping in more than one area. Um, I'm you know, my area of expertise is with canines, but I'm I'm all over. I'm I absolutely support as much as I can. Um, and yes, I work with a lot of dogs in other countries. That doesn't mean I don't help dogs locally, too. I mean, but you can't put everything in every single post. You can't address every single issue in every single campaign. So as long as could you just imagine if everybody just stepped up for what's important to them? Right. Yeah. All these naysayers who tell us we should be focused on on something else apart from what it is we're focused on, you know, are well, if, if there's so do if it. something important to you, go do it. And you, you know what? I'd be, glad, I'd be glad to to give that post a comment or a like on social media if it's if it's worthy. If you're battling yes. childhood hunger or cancer, by, by by all means, we think that those issues are important too. Yeah. Uh, compassion isn't finite. We have the ability to be supportive of all of those who need our voice. Beautiful. Oh, love that, Donnie. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing. And I I really encourage everybody to get involved with all the campaigns that Donnie is doing and all the groups that he's supporting and to uh, keep moving forward. And let's have this change happen. Thank you so much, Donnie. Thanks for having me. 